Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, February 17th, 2016. That's right, I am back with another interview for the Game of Crowdfunding. Um, and before I get too far, two things. Of course, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. So Don Lloyd, thank you very much for supporting us over on Patreon and allowing us to continue to do the interviews and the main show. The second thing I want to say before we get started is if you haven't noticed yet, the Game of Crowdfunding draft picks have gone written so Sarah and Jacob are still doing draft picks. They're still matching up projects head-to-head. They're still trying to best each other whenever they can, but it's all in written format over on allusgeeks.com. So please go check that out. They're looking for feedback on the format, and if you like what they're doing in, in that way, uh, just to give a brief reasoning why, because Sarah is in California, Jacob is in Germany, their schedules don't always match. And then you add a third schedule in the mix because I was doing the editing. And between the three of us, it was a nightmare. <laughs> so hopefully you like the written. But uh, if not, let them know that as well because I believe they're open to potentially trying to keep schedules going if, if they can. But check out the written. Give it a look. I think they've done an amazing job with the first one they put out so far. Uh, so go check that out, please. All right. With that Let's uh, let's get into this episode. Uh, I get to talk to somebody who does not have a Kickstarter right this second, but is launching one very soon, and uh, is somebody that I know from the Game Crafter chat, and also happens to be a contest winner of a contest that I helped judge, which is actually the game we're going to talk about towards the end of this uh, episode. So with that, who is joining me on Skype tonight? Hey there, Jeff. This is Andrew Smith from Gold Seal Games, man. Yes. Andrew is joining <laughs> me, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, his journey to this is your going to be your first Kickstarter, correct? That is correct. It's my first one, man. I'm very, looking forward to it. I'm very excited. I've been working hard at it, Excellent. for sure. So we can uh, kind of touch base with Andrew a little bit, see what he's learned so far leading up to his launch. But first, uh, you know, we gotta we gotta get those hard hitting questions out of the way. I'm prepared for them. I'm yeah. prepared. <laughs> we gotta we gotta break you down right away. We gotta get you crying so we can go on and and oh. start the healing process. <laughs> it's your gentle touch, right? <laughs> so are are you prepared? Are you sitting down? Uh, sitting down. Are, um, you, are you well rested? Well rested. Well fed. <laughs> right. <I'm laughs> Did ridiculous. you order the coat? No. Um, <laughs> so of course one of the first things we always ask is what makes you a geek sir well like a lot of listeners and uh people that you've had on the show before i'm uh, one of the many many fans of the star wars and star trek franchises <laughs> so you know that that right away and actually at this point i guess becoming a star wars fan isn't necessarily a complete geek cred anymore so that's that's fine but uh, I, I've been since, gosh, back when Darth Vader was terrifying. So, you know, <laughs> uh, avid video gamer. Of, I mean, I have my Atari like hooked up in my living room right now, in fact. So, uh, you know, <laughs> retro stuff and I haven't moved on to the Xbox One yet, but probably will at some point. I do live action role play gaming, lots of board games. And I'm also a, a class A theater geek as well. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I have, I have lots, lots of geeky tendencies for sure. Excellent. And of course, we also like to ask, you know, uh, we always tell people you can geek out about anything if you have the passion level for it. So do you have any geek level passions for something that the typical person would not consider geek related? Star Wars aside at this point. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> sure. Well, so I, I knew you'd ask this one because I listen to your podcast. Thank you, um, and listen, I, I, thank you I, listener. Hey, thank you. <laughs> it's, so you're going to have to let me know how this interview goes when you uh, hear when it later. The, I, I'll, I'll give it a like. Yeah, I'll give it a when, like when, the, when the counter ticks to one, <laughs> I'll know you've heard it. I actually was struggling to answer this one. Um, and I, you know, I had to enlist the help of my girlfriend, Pam, for this one. She immediately said I was geeky about, uh, quote unquote, leadership and self-improvement stuff. 
Ah, there you go. Yeah, I, I read lots of leadership and self-development material, books, articles, that kind of stuff. I used to be in sales. Um, so I have this like ridiculous bank of information about <laughs> management styles and how to inspire people and what I, whatnot. I, yeah, I love to teach in general, but you know, that's kind of the flavor of teaching that sometimes I find myself in that's not necessarily geek related. Um, so that's probably like the biggest non geek thing I get excited about is leadership and self development type stuff. Well, let's let's have a conversation about you know sales tactics and uh, buzzwords on Kickstarter. No, <laughs> oh gosh, please no. That was a it, that was uh, a tough conversation today. <laughs> it really was. Yes, I, I, as I mentioned a little earlier, Andrew and I uh, both are on the Game Crafter chat, uh, are part of the Game Crafter community, and and talk off and on in Game Crafter chat. So, yes, there are always some interesting conversations going on there. Not always directly related to the game crafter. <laughs> <laughs> not mostly not. <laughs> Only when the occasional new person comes in and says, uh, can I interrupt this with a real question? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. We'll talk about games now. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yes. They have printed components. God. <laughs> no, you can't drink. You can't uh, print Pokemon the drinking game. We're sorry. <laughs> yes. Not without. Suffering the wrath of Heather. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so my last warm-up question is, and of course you can be as general or specific as you want to be, but what do you do for a living besides make games? Sure. I work as a mechanical engineer. I design water filtration systems for municipalities and large corporations. I basically design the machines that are like the first line of defense in keeping our water clean. So. The non-chemical stuff, just all the physical removal of all the nasty stuff. Yeah. We have a, a colloquial type nickname for ourselves. We call ourselves turd herders. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's great. <laughs> big, big giant steel machines. I designed them. There we go. Feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I used to work in aviation and that was way sexier. This is this is not, but it's much more stable. So that's nice. <laughs> there you go. All right, so, you know, this is usually around the time when I kind of start digging into your whys of how you got into game designing. And, of course, you know, having the theater background and being, you know, a theater geek and working in aviation and now your current position, where in your, I guess, life journey did you decide to go from playing games to wanting to make games. Not not quite the business side even yet, but just I can make games. Well, I guess my first like initial desire to have control over like the design of a game was gosh, I was probably I don't know 10 or 12 maybe uh just making just custom modules for Dungeons and Dragons. I know, I know that's not making your own system per se, but uh I think that's kind of when I got the bug and I was like, hey, you know, I can actually do this all of all by myself. You know, that's when I was I fooled into thinking that I could do everything by myself. Um, <laughs> you know, and then um, I really kind of just brewed on stuff. I played I played a bunch of games and I've always added random house rules to games. Like uh, my friends and I have a pretty insane game of uh, Harry Potter Uno that has all kinds of house rules, you know, and. Just I've threw my influence in on a bunch of games I play. I think actually designing games from the ground up, though, ah, gosh, probably maybe three or four years ago when when I was actually I had the funds and the time to actually dig in and start designing versus just barely sleeping, barely eating and studying all the time because <laughs> college was hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yes, three or four years ago, I'd say. Okay. And I think you hit on, I mean, I think there's a lot of us that kind of went through that that phase in D&D. I know that was like my big thing when I was into D&D and most role-playing stuff that I, even if I still get to do it, is that I'm never, I have a hard time being comfortable in a pre-made setting. Yes, so very I, much so. Yeah, so whatever system, I mean, I can still use the system. But I always want my own setting. I always want my my own take on things, my own spin. So, 
I've always created my own worlds, my own settings. And, you know, so going through that whole module process and, and getting outside of, sure, you know, you know, you know, Ravenloft and, and all of that stuff, but this is, this is mine. It's different. And it may have mixes of different things if I find something that I like in a certain setting, but I won't ever sit down usually with a system and go, this is it. This, I, I, I got the books for this environment. So that's what we're going to play through. Yeah, I feel like I feel like when you allow the players that are in your group to experience something that maybe they're not getting in the other groups that they've been in before or that they maybe, you know, shame on them in their other D&D group. I think it it allows them to be more, feel more connected to the story. That to me is important, at least in the role-playing type games, feeling connected to the story is like this is a unique experience that no one else has ever had. Yeah. I think that's really cool. That's something to strive for. Yeah, and even in like um, Shadowrun, whereas you know a lot of its environment is tied almost into the rules, right? Right. Even when I was looking to run that and and play in that, I went through and I'm like, you know, I found like bits and pieces where they talked about it, but they never fleshed it out. So instead of like the Chicago and and Hong Kong and all that stuff that have like source books. I started focusing in on like the LA area, the Hollywood, the the glitz nice. and glamour side of things because it intrigued me, but it also wasn't fleshed out. So there were a lot of things I could do while there still were bits and pieces of source that I could kind of pull from. So and I, lean on, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was just again, it's just that whole, yeah. Everybody does Chicago, everybody, and everybody knows that. And that's, and I don't want to get the other thing too is getting tied down into getting into some system that. Everybody knows, so you know you'll get maybe that one person around the the table go. Well, actually, oh <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that, that is not oh, how man. this world works. It's like no, this is my world. This is how it works. So <laughs> well, on page one twelve, down in the bottom exactly. left, you see how they missed a comma. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's some of the appeal too. Yeah, man, for sure. So three, four years ago, you get into actually designing from the ground up. So what was the factor for you to want to do that? Was it just finally having the time or was there actually like a trigger? The biggest influence was definitely the time, mostly because the majority of my designs were just random scribbled notes about, you know, what I loved about certain games and, oh, what if what if this were to be combined with this? You know, could I actually play something like that. You know, maybe I would scratch something on the face of a couple playing cards or something and see if it worked. But I didn't really ever have the time opportunity to sit down and develop a game. And I was just from my kind of resume of of geek credentials, you can see I'm involved in all kinds of stuff. So I finally said, you know what, I have a nice paying job, stable environment, and I'm not busy with tons of things. Let me waste all of that opportunity of relaxation and decide to start designing games. You know, finally. Yeah, it was mostly a time thing. I don't think anything really set me off. I definitely know it wasn't the ideas I was having back then. So I was like, Oh, this is brilliant. No, no. I, most of the game designs never see the light of day. So. All right. So um, off, off the record, what, what is it like to have time? Dude, it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't know anymore, man. <laughs> No, it's, it's again, this is, that's a, uh, thing that's, it's a resource, you know, you have a <laughs> finite amount of time. I've, that's something I taught, learned a lot about doing my sales stuff. I mean, I owned a sales business. I was training people and everything. And that's a big thing about time management and all that other stuff. That's something that I've really buckled down on my life on. So it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard, you know, you know, yeah. yeah. I'm well aware. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to live vicariously through you for half a second there. I'm sorry. I, uh, but I, I ran out of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So you start designing stuff. Like what were maybe some of the first things that you kind of took to not necessarily full development, right? Cause the, but things that you got to a point where you were like, okay, this, this is solid and I can continue down this path. Sure. Like a lot of, of my earlier stuff was just mostly, like I said, like kind of on cards. So um, actually I have a really bad representation of what the final product should be up on Game Crafter right now. It's a game called And Sometimes Why, which I feel is a very clever title, but I don't know if the game matches the title, but 
It's basically like a mix between uh, Scrabble and Boggle. So it's like a spelling game with weird scoring mechanics that are very clunky and not elegant at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, I I have a, a kind of a passion for the English language in general. So I think that one was fun for me just to kind of realize, uh, at least in some form and, you know, pay pay 30 bucks to own it. You know, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, you, you mentioned that you had that you have a version that's on the Game Crafter. Uh, so that, that that leads me to kind of the question of where in the discovery process did you come upon the Game Crafter and how has it kind of assisted in you deciding to continue to design games? Oh, JT will love me for this uh, this sound bit. Um, <laughs> I've, I think I've only been a member of the Game Crafter for slightly over a year, maybe not even that long. And I probably Google search, to be honest with you, custom playing That's cards. It. It, seems like, yeah. it seems like I've known you a yeah. lot longer than that. <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> the I'm on there every day, Jeff. That's why. So, no, the I would say that's the the single most influential community as far as my development as a designer. Uh, that's a the people in that community, you included, are um, <laughs> incredibly helpful, mostly respectful, and very knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some good qualifiers in there and, uh, yeah yeah and, and I, I wasn't fishing by the way just <laughs> no 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 it's fine no i'm serious like i think that because everyone has this a much different viewpoint there there's some seasoned veterans in there there's some people that are maybe new but have played way more games than other people there's uh all kinds of different skill sets there and it's just an i mean kind of an open create community i think it's absolutely brilliant what they've built over there and uh I, I think it's i mean like i would i would attribute a lot of my knowledge and capabilities in game design to the that community in general i think i think it's awesome but it wasn't it was like the last year or so that you discovered yeah. so prior to that you were you were still kind of making games and and, and doing and, a bad, bad job <laughs> at it yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean so how how many I don't want to necessarily get into minutia uh, on sure. it, but I mean, so how many games kind of were you working with comfortably uh, up until maybe the point that you discovered the game? I mean, how actively were you creating games at that point at the early stages? You know, I would say I would crank out an idea just kind of randomly. I don't think I was super focused on it, to be honest with you. It was just an, an, another thing that I was doing. You know, I'd get an idea and I'd work it out. I'd most, if if ever, I would have maybe two or three ideas kind of working at the same time, and maybe I'd sit down and play with friends just very casually. I don't think it was I was very serious about it at all. Okay. Yeah. Where in the process does the idea to create Gold Seal games come from? Oh man, I would say that just for me, like the idea of having a brand versus uh, my v- very generic name uh, being tied to the things I'm creating. I'm also a, a fan of puns, so I kind of wanted to have that going on. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> um, you know, putting a seal, an actual right. like marine animal. No, I, I'd say that was kind of almost a ne- necessity for me as as far as my, my business outlook. I wanted to, one, enjoy the tax benefits. That was also, that was, you know, very nice. Uh, the other thing is creating the brand. I, th- I f- immediately found that to be important once I said, okay, you know what? I'm actually going to focus on designing. Where, but first things first, let me make a brand. Even if I'm unsuccessful, you know, it'll disappear into the ether that is the internet and I won't worry about it. But, you know, I think it's important to have a, a brand that people can uh, hopefully someday recognize readily. Uh, because my name is Andrew Smith is... is mm, yeah, I mean, <laughs> not we, very exciting. We, so we, we had that ca- uh, conversation at CrafterCon, if I remember. Yeah, right, during, yeah. <laughs> during one of my panels, because <laughs> Jeff King is not much better at this. I mean, I'm not exactly going to be at the top of Google search anytime soon if you do that name with somebody exactly with with professional athletes and <laughs> and and the fact that, like I said in my panel, there I, I discovered one other Jeff King that does voiceover as well. So oh, that no. was awesome. Oh uh, no. <laughs> So yeah. So I mean it sounds like 
obviously you're kind of drawing on your sales experience. You know, you're already like, okay, I'm I'm gonna take this seriously. So I need a brand, you know, that's yep. recognizable, that kind of thing, you know. So you're you were focused in on that. So it sounds like around the time of Gold Seal Games and and thinking about the brand might have been I mean, obviously was a point where you're like, okay, this is a little more than a hobby. Yes. Yes. It, what yes. was the switch? What was where in the process or, or what was going on that made you go, you know, okay, I'm I'm happy to be making games and, and keeping busy and, and doing this as a hobby to, you know what, let's experience the business side of gaming. Well, I would say it might've been kind of fueled through a game that I'm working on kind of in the background at this point. And it was the first game I made that I sat down with some people and the guys that played it were like, wow, wow, this is, this is, this is awesome. And I'm used to seeing kind of, maybe they, if you're playing with friends, play testing with friends and they kind of go, oh yeah, that was fun. You know, and they kind of give you that, the compliments that you know, are just kind of there because they're, they're your buddies and they don't want to tell you that your game is terrible. But you know, I was, I was, I'm working on uh, a game called Ataxium, which is a portmanteau of Axiom and Attack. And the way it was received when I first sat down and played it was just awesome. And I said, okay, if I can do something, whether it be this game or some other game where people can get some enjoyment out of it beyond just me kind of fiddling with other people's rules or, you know, just kind of messing around with the basic kind of game mechanics. I want to take this seriously, whether or not, you know, obviously the game creation business is not necessarily one that's incredibly lucrative, but to kind of see it be realized in a, in a form where someone can go, wow, this was really awesome. Oh, you made this? No way. You know, like I thought that was really cool. Uh, and I think that's kind of when the switch got flipped was when I put the game on the table and it was very well received. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not terrible at this and I just need to refine my skills. So how do I do that? How do I get better? You know, and that's when I started seeking out these communities like the Game Crafter and going and reading different blogs and whatnot. Because before, for some reason, I just never decided that that was a good idea. Um, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, let me lean on the experience of other people. Imagine that, you know. So We've kind of talked about, I mean, you, at least on the hobby side, started about three, four years ago. In the last year or so, you've joined the Game Crafter and... You know, somewhere in there, you know, you started kind of looking and researching and all this stuff. I also know that you actively attend like different kinds of conventions and stuff like that. I do. I do. How benefit? I mean, obviously you're continuing to do it, so you find it beneficial. But for others that maybe either haven't started that path or are not sure the benefits of doing various conventions. Can you maybe tell us a couple of the conventions that you do like to attend or you have attended and what benefits you feel you've gotten from them as a game designer and or publisher? Sure. So I think in general, being in connection with your local community and any cons that are within driving distance of where you live is important, mainly because you can just randomly run into those people at time to time. And if they recognize you from there, that's a kind of a cool opportunity like I'm going to Prototype Con in Orlando, which is about an hour and a half away from where I'm at right now, uh, coming up this weekend. Um, I'm hoping that's that's going to be a good one, good one. A lot of the other ones that I've been going to are actually very far away from me, but uh, in Wisconsin, uh, mainly my my sister lives up there uh, with her family, and you know I've used the gaming conventions to you know as a, a nice excuse to go and see her. Um, cause I don't get to see her very often, but I would say the, the big ones I've, I've been to that I've really enjoyed for different reasons. Kind of midwinter gaming convention for me used to just be kind of a, a LARPing type thing where I could go and just pretend I'm a vampire for a little bit, you know, or, uh, just play some tabletop randomly here and there. It's kind of converted now into something that I can use as a tool for playtesting or just advertisement. So I, that was, that's a big one. Uh, additionally, this this past uh, year, Gamehole Con in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, was fun. The convention was really fun. I think information wise, uh, Crafter Con that 
um, game crafter put on inside of there was tremendous. I mean, the panels that they had, the just Q and a sessions, the amount of people that were just sitting down, playing games, demoing games, willing to give feedback. It was, I almost felt like I was at kind of a, a mini protospiel inside of there. I thought that was really, really neat. So yeah, I would, I would say anything in the kind of the, the breadbasket of gaming area up there is, is pretty nice. And then anything local, uh, I have, I have yet to go to any of the, the dice tower stuff that's down here. That's all my list though. Gen Con is, is a, is a, an animal that you must wrestle at least one time, both as an attendee, which I've done and someone that's in a booth, which I've not done, but hopefully through the graces of the indie game Alliance, I will be able to do this year. So we'll see. Yeah. It's, and I think camera, maybe it was Matt, uh, warden that said that that was one of his favorite because he was in, I think multiple booths or, and the, uh, the IGA booth, the indie gamers Alliance booth was actually one of his, favorites because so much was going on and so many different people were kind of coming in and out of there both from like a play testing demo side and from other designers so yeah. I, know, I know he had a lot of uh, fun with that one actually um <laughs> matt holden and i will be having a conversation again I, I know i had him on way back when when iga was still kind of in its infancy him and i have been wrestling schedules for quite a while i do see he popped another one on my calendar Hopefully nice. both of us can make it because we have been wanting to do, give updated information to indie game designers about what IGA is doing today and, and how it's structured now. So everybody's aware of that. And I know I had a couple people at Protospiel ask me, uh, you know, about it and about how they would, we're really looking forward to Matt and I sitting down again. So we, we put it on the books again. This will be the, our, nice. th- our third try. <laughs> I really, I really enjoy what they, what kind of stuff they're offering, uh, their members, man. They, uh, I'll spoil the surprise for you. They've cracked the 300, uh, mark as far as the number of studios they represent. So mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think Matt's done a, a great job from jump. And of course I kind of had an early in, and that's why we had our early conversations because one of the first studios was Meltdown Games. And of course, Doug Lewandowski and I are friends and, and we did the Road to Relaunch series together. So kind of almost through him and, and him talking about IGA when he first signed on is kind of how Matt and I connected. So nice, man. Nice. <laughs> By the way, CrafterCon was pretty much outside of the panels was definitely kind of a mini protospiel atmosphere. You're right. I didn't even think about that until. Uh, you, I mean, the 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 people that were there in general and their willingness to sit down. I mean, you know, you got the 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 big dogs down there, uh, you know, downstairs, you know, doing their own stuff. And then <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the other people coming through. I mean, obviously, there's some still recognizable names that are sitting down and playing games and giving feedback and everything. I thought it was awesome. I had a really good time. <laughs> little starstruck, you know, from time to time. <laughs> Richard Bliss from the funding uh, the dream. Yeah, funding the dream. He he put me on the spot and made me put me in charge of a, a panel with uh, Steve Jackson and James Matthew <laughs> and Jason Glover on it. I was like, oh geez, this is I'm out of my league here. So no, that was a lot of fun. So. Yeah, we, we know how that panel turned out. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. So now I know who to blame. It was great. It was, turned out great. We got a lot of uh, a lot of different viewpoints going on yeah, on that yeah. panel. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, that was that was an amazing time. <laughs> One of the other questions I always like to ask because I'm always interested, and I I don't think you and I have had this conversation personally. So you know you've you've been designing games for a while now. Um, you've got some things that you're very comfortable with, very happy with. Obviously, you're approaching your first Kickstarter. So throughout that, have you developed a design process that you like to follow or does it really still depend on the game? Or are there like chunks of things that, you know, this, I always do this, but then, you know, once I get to this point, it may vary or something like that. You know, yeah, that's, I definitely think that it's important to stay flexible. There's a kind of a saying that, uh, my buddy Ray, uh, he always he used to just spout this off all the time. Is you you're either green and growing or brown and dying. So if you're if you're not always changing, you know, you're you're losing the ability to to grow. 
I took that to heart. I think having some hard and fast rules for yourself as far as process goes is important. But being dedicated to them, I don't think is, uh, you know, at the, dedicated with the consequence of losing efficiency in design. So I think one of the biggest things that I've picked up along the way, very first thing I do if I have an idea is put it on Google Docs. The reason being is I can then open that up to criticism and editing uh, by other uh, designers and people that just enjoy board games in general and go, hey, here's this idea I've got. It's really terrible and just a, a bad outline of what I've got going on, but what do you think? And, you know, I get just general feedback. I think that was my first step right away um, as far as process goes. I made a pretty big mistake early on with how I was developing games prior to, you know, now, and that was seeking to do art and or find placeholder art early. <laughs> yeah. Ah. You know, for me, like, you know, with our earlier conversations, we talk about like being in, immersed in a world and things like that. I think that for me, I think that's one of the more important things as far as games go for me personally. I think that kind of carried over to my design process. I realize now and I, I have for a while now realize that that's just it's unneeded. Everything changes immediately so fast at this point. So I've completely skipped out on that. So art. I don't even start thinking about art now until like, gosh, until it's almost done, like like until the game is almost done completely. And then I don't even go full on into that. So but that used to be part of my process. I changed that after that. So, you know, Google Docs, get some get some ideas, plunk out just kind of general rules format as far as, uh, bef- you know, any, before all of that happens i think some sort of inspiration for a a, either a mechanic or a theme i find myself wanting to do a theme that's driven by a mechanic versus a mechanic and trying to fit a theme to it i feel like this that the latter one is a little bit more difficult yeah that's that's one of the i mean i think i tend to be theme first usually but like i've kind of been saying recently in chat is like i got a mechanic stuck in my head and you need to get it out of your system. At yeah, least. and the yeah, only way yeah. I can get it out of my system is if I marry it to something, some type of game, and that usually means, okay, what's the theme going to be that I can actually use this in without it sure. feeling forced? And so, I mean, it, but it is. It's it's you know, if you give me the theme and I and I can uh, attach myself to it, I can start pumping out different things that I okay, we can do this or this or that and this. But yeah. if I start with just a mechanic and that's all, it's like, this is the mechanic. All right. Well, crap. What am I? Uh, okay. <laughs> what do I do from yeah, there? You know? Yeah. And, yes. and, and so that, that's one of those things. Like, I, I think I had to mull that over for almost like a week or more because I just couldn't get it out of my head. And, and I wanted it out of my head. Even if I didn't do anything with it, I could go, ah, yeah. that's, that, that's how that can be used. So do you find, like, I know a lot of other designers I find, do you find, like, if you have that mechanic and you can't, like, get away from it, do you just write it down and then just kind of leave it? Or or, and, or does it just fester and you, you have to get rid of it? Like, at least get it on paper and apply to something. Because, like, for me, if I find something, I'm like, oh, that, that'd be kind of neat. Where will I work that in? I don't know yet. Let me just, I'll put it down and then... They have a running ideas list, you know? Yeah, I, I do a little bit of both. This particular one, it just happened to be, it was, I don't know, I it was in my head and I had it in my head that I needed to put something on it. And like I said, yeah. I mean, e- even in my mind, I was like, even if I don't do anything with this, I, yeah, no, that's fair. I, I just that's fair, want yeah. to know how I could have potentially <laughs> used it. Sure, that's fair, yeah. But yeah, I mean, other times I, I've, you know, write everything down or... You know, like revisions through games and stuff, that depending on what you throw out, you don't necessarily throw it out. You maybe put it aside because maybe it doesn't work in this game, but it might work for another game. You know, that exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's something I, I really appreciate is kind of preserving the history of the design and maybe applying it elsewhere. That's something I that's another kind of part of my process is going through and saying, OK, what have I done before? That's maybe similar. Can I apply to this? You know, do, and I have a list of things that I want to at some point see in my one of my games and I kind of see if it fits, you know. So after that, I think playtesting is important immediately, like even if it's just a shell of a game, I would say just play it and see, okay, does this even work at all? <laughs> you know? And then uh rules refinement 
is usually done through sp- spreadsheets for me because I'm an engineer and that's how my brain works. So yeah. And then just play test, play test, play test at that point. And then at some point I'll decide to, you know, apply some sort of theme uh, or thematic artwork. But yeah, that's kind of my process in a nutshell. It's not the greatest way to describe it, but I did (laughs) what I could. (laughs) It's It's all over the place, Jeff. That's, that's the real answer. (laughs) Well, I think, I think you, I mean, you gave us a nice look at steps um, and, yeah. and like you said, I mean, depending on the game and everything, you stay flexible and, and, and various things may happen in, in different orders or it might have to change the process. But if you kind of have a starting point, at least you have a starting point, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then the other thing, you know, you kind of said, which you're hearing a lot, I think, especially these days, it's coming up a lot more, but the whole idea of fail faster. Yeah, you know, it's it's get a prototype, get some, you know, get get the ugly, get the ugly prototype out. Don't worry about the art. Uh, get it to the table, and again, like I, you know, I always say on the show, in your head, you know, people are throwing you parades and and there's fireworks, <laughs> and you've just made the best game ever, and they don't know how they've ever lived without it. And then you get it to the table, and then you're like, well, crap, I just, wow. <laughs> I just have no idea what the hell I was thinking because everything always were. I even went through this today. We were. You know, in my job, we were, uh, you know, trying to figure out a new way to do something, a, a new piece of code we needed and how it would operate. And we were, you know, brainstorming and we were going through it. And and so, you know, me and the other guy were actually in tune. They're like, yep, yep, I understand. Yep, that works. That works. That works. That'll work. And our lead was in. They're like, okay, so you guys got the solution? We're like, no, this works in our head. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're, not, we're not until it's working yeah, for real. We're yeah. not sure about actual functionality yet, but man, is it slick in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and something that's sometimes, well, a lot of times, most of the times, that's how your games are. They're yes. extremely slick in your head because you know what you're trying to do, and your 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 you know your brain does it, and you're like, yes, and that works, and oh my god, that and that that marries perfectly, and oh how. How has nobody made this game yet? And then you get yeah. to the table, you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> this is why I, I should have researched. <laughs> so I find like I, I go through a lot of that, like, oh, yeah, and this. And I, I reject a lot of these, like, these quick ideas that I have. Like, oh, what about this? Now nah, that wouldn't work because of this. And I'm kicking myself, and I, I probably will continue to do this until I stop designing games, is I want to record those, those what I'm calling to myself stupid ideas. Because they, those might be the gems, you know. Those might be the ones that that make it big, you know. So, right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. You talked about playtesting as part of your process. So, do you do blind playtesting as well? Absolutely. I think that a lot of the the majority of your playtesting, in my opinion, you know, other people might have different opinions about this, but I believe that the majority of your playtesting should be blind testing. Uh, simply because the majority, hopefully, the majority of people that are going to be playing your game, you don't know. That's the ultimate goal. I think that you should be developing your game without the kind of overshadowing of maybe a, a relationship that you have built with the people that are playing it, uh, because then you actually get good feedback, you know, and you're able to filter out the things that you actually want to keep. One of the best ways for me to to get blind playtesting is just to drop it off at a, at a table, send it to a friend who maybe will just play it with their friends. And, you know, they, they, I think people, I would consider it blind playtesting if my friend brings it to a convention and goes, yeah, my friend made this. And then they sit down and play it. For me, I think that the feedback you get from there, people are more likely to pull the trigger on their maybe harsher comments if you're not there at the table. Those are the comments you want. The deep cutting ones that would be possibly offensive. <laughs> those, those are the ones that are actually going to improve your game. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was going to ask you, but it, I mean, it sounds like you answered some of it. But if you rely heavily on blind playtesting, then how do you keep it fresh in the fact that it's not the same group blind playtesting over and over again? Yeah. And I mean, I through my association with uh, One World by Night, which is the LARP group that I'm part of. They're a massive organization, and I've met lots of people through that. And I have the ability to just ship a game out to somebody and be like, hey, do you mind sitting down and playing with, playing with your buddies? And it's just 
in any random part of the country. You know, that's a big blessing that I've had through that organization, you know, because I've made a lot of friends through that, maybe just casual friends uh, in some cases. But I think that that allows me to keep it fresh, especially if I know, oh, yeah, this person is super into this kind of game. They probably are more educated about this kind of game than other people that are in my network. So let me ship this out to them and see what they think. You know, and I'll get the, oh, this was terrible, you know, <laughs> or, oh, yeah, this was good. It was kind of like these 20 games that I've played before. And I go, I've never played any of those, but sure, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, and again, I, I appreciate the fact that you do use blind play testing as much as you do, because I am one of those people that is a firm designer that I should never get a game that needs the designer in the box. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Like, that's no, a pet yeah, peeve yeah. of mine. So. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, actually, I think we were talking about this earlier today, uh, or possibly yesterday. It was the goal of blind play testing versus, uh, of just your game, like the mechanics of it in general, versus, hey, sit down. I'm going to sit here and not say anything, but here's the rule book. You know, that's testing the, the legs of the rule book versus the, the quality of gameplay. So you have the opportunity to, because, right, you know, if you're demoing the game, you can kind of explain the rules with words that are spoken and you go, oh, no, no, no. And you can point at stuff and all that. That's, I don't to me, I think that's not the necessarily the most valuable way to at least get feedback on your rule book beyond just the design of your game. You know, I think the rule book is important as well. Right. Yeah. This might be a good time for us to actually talk about uh, the game. We're here. <laughs> sure. <laughs> hey. we, we've we've, we've, we've kinda, been long. Here. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> What can I say? Uh, I enjoy my conversation with you, Andrew. Oh, as, as always, <laughs> this is just an extension of chat. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to talk about Honey Wars because that's going to be the game that you have on Kickstarter, and again, it's going to be your first project on Kickstarter. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the origins of Honey Wars? Sure. I created this game for the Game Hole Con board game contest. The Take That contest it was kind of an opportunity for me like you said to marry a theme to a mechanic um i thought that was really applicable for take that was the the plight of the honeybee population um i I just it matched up perfectly i said okay this is great um so i just I wanted to make a take that game. I wanted to try the challenge. I wanted to you know challenge myself as a designer, and I had no idea how I was going to do it uh, until the theme came along, and I said, "Ah, this is this is perfect." And I, it was probably some random Facebook article, and I was like, "Oh, bees are dying. Oh, hey, here we go. Let's do this. Let's, enter- let's, en- so, let's entertain ourselves." Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then it turned out, I guess, okay. So you know. Yeah, I mean, so you you developed the game for the contest, and of course we were the judges for that contest. We, as in myself and Jordan, so all us geeks uh, were the judges. And spoiler alert: clearly, we enjoy the game because it was the winner. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it won the uh, Game Holcon contest. You got a nice trophy out of the deal. Yes, Sir Rodney. That thing is pretty. <laughs> man, uh, Albion Swords made that. It is. It is nice. It is cool looking. It is, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that thing. <laughs> so clearly, there was at least two guys in a geek compound had some love for it. <laughs> <laughs> at least two. At least two. I mean, uh, I put that on the box. At least two at people like this game. <laughs> uh, I made these two people swear at each other. They loved it. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. <laughs> So, you know, you go from there. What what was your thought process then to get you to, I'm going to do my first Kickstarter? Oh, boy. Probably some sort of grandiose illusion that I knew what I was doing. But no, mostly. I th- so, again, it was kind of going back to I said, wow, I made something that did well. It not only was enjoyable for everyone that's played it so far, but it won a contest. So, OK, there's some sort of something to be said about this game. It's desirable. You know, I said that I have a, a product at this point that's desirable. How do I refine it and make it into something that can actually be brought to market right now? I, the best vehicle for that is Kickstarter. I think so. Just recognizing the fact that it was a desired product 
maybe not on a grand scale quite yet, but the, um, you know, seeing that and going, okay, someone wants, someone likes this game. How many <laughs> other people like this game? You know, how many other people like this game? And so far, I mean, I've, I've gotten tremendous feedback about it. So my belief is there's a, a large enough group of people that are excited about it to where I can use Kickstarter to, to get the seed money to, to produce it. That, I mean, it was just a kind of a very clear cut understanding of that at that point. Once I won, I was like, okay, let's fix what's wrong with it. Cause there was still some stuff wrong with it. And then what are you saying? Saying Jordan and I, uh, no, no, pick, pick uh, loser? What, what, what's <laughs> it had some mechanics that maybe weren't necessary that were all 100% take that. Yes. And maybe weren't necessarily as desirable in the mass market. So those were those were tweaked a little bit. Like for instance, player elimination doesn't exist per se in the in the the version that you guys were playing, but the effects of some of the cards and the way they stack up uh, kind of took somebody out of the game, you know, for several rounds. Right. Um at this point, you know, that people still have an opportunity to interact, maybe not on a as a as such a large scale as if you didn't have certain cards attacking your hives you know but uh that's been since taken care of you know right no i obviously i was giving you a little (laughs) it was it was was a solid game but you're right i mean and again the challenge was a take that had to be strongly represented and you did that very well with the game Uh, thank you and again going into more of a mass marketing style thing uh you're you're right it's you probably need to Peel that back because not everybody is Jeff and Jordan wanting to kill each other in a basement uh, for enjoyment. Yeah. So yeah, it, that's under- and actually, if if you like uh, the one of the most recent Game Crafter podcasts that JT and I put out, that's one of the things we talked about. Where some people are not going to like player elimination, some people are not going to like take that, you know, that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, you know that was something I was kind of worried about, and I, you know wrung my hands over it several nights in a row of, oh, do I need to be like really up front and tell people that it's take that or this, that, and the other? And I, I was just sweating it. And I, you know, at, at the end of the day, I go, hey, this is a game where you attack each other's hives with stuff that kills bees. You down, you want to play? And people are like, okay. And they have a good time. If, yeah. even if, you know, unless they're like playing El Grande in their sleep or something, you know. <laughs> All right, so you almost gave it there, but I, I have something I want to discuss with you. But before we do that, maybe this is a good time to do the elevator pitch for Honey Wars and let people know <laughs> what it actually is. Sure. All right, so essentially Honey Wars puts you in charge of hives of bees. You are trying to defend them against incoming threats that are all real-world threats to the honeybee population. You have to harvest honey, which is the currency of the game, and you're attempting to build your bee empire. It's a race to build three hives and gather 12 honey, and it's a game where you're going to be attacking other people, trying to hold them back from the wind condition. You're hiring beekeeper buddies to help you out, and uh, you're rolling a, a eight-sided die to defend your hives. That's your the quick elevator pitch for you. There you go. So the one thing I, I wanted to make sure we talked about, because I think it's kind of interesting and something that's somewhat unique, at least in the gaming space, I would say, for your game, is that you actually have kind of a interesting partnership built into d- the design of the game. You want to uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough, I would say. I, I don't think luck had a huge part of it. I worked with Dr. Jamie Ellis from the University of Florida Honeybee Research and Extension Lab. My buddy Dan Christophe is an ag major at the University of Florida. And I said, hey, you know, do you know anybody that knows stuff about bees? Because I'm making a game. He says, I do. I was in this guy's class. He's brilliant. You're going to love him. So I just reached out to Dr. Ellis and gave him a quick pitch and said, hey, here, this is what I'm working on. This is kind of my idea. These are the things I want to include in the game. What do you think? And uh, this guy is, man, this guy is a titan. He is, it's unbelievable. He wrote this beautifully crafted email back to me and just said, here's all of the things that I think about what you should do. He recategorized everything. He ranked all the threats for me, said, this is the worst thing that could happen. These aren't as important. You won't see these as often. I, and he, I, he even, I mean, he looked at some of the art and said, eh, 
you know, that's actually a wasp's nest. Bees don't live in those, you know, things like that. So uh, he's, he, the guy's absolutely brilliant. I had a chance to go and see one of uh, his seminars in Gainesville, Florida, just kind of on national bee day, actually on a lark. I went and hung out with my parents in Gainesville and we went and saw him talk. He is an incredible public speaker, super knowledgeable. And I, I didn't realize who I was dealing with until I started kind of looking him up on the internet after that seminar. Uh, this this guy's probably one of like the top three honeybee experts in the world. And I didn't know that since <laughs> emailing him. I was just like, hey, Dr. Ellis, what's going on? You know, man. Uh, so, yeah, incredibly excited about that, uh, that he was willing to take the time to help me with that. Um, so in return, uh, I'm using part of the the proceeds from uh, the sale of Honey Wars to donate to his research efforts at the University of Florida. Um, that's kind of a cool partnership that I've been willing to enter into uh, with them because they're doing an amazing work, amazing work over at their lab. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And like I said, I think that's kind of a a unique thing in the board game space that you're able to bring to this game. Not only is it a a good and solid game, but it's got some real world stuff behind it. Yeah, it's it's definitely meant to bring some attention to to the issue, you know, of the honeybees dying off, as well as uh, you know, it, it's a it's a game first naturally, but there's kind of some cool side effects of it being a cause marketing type thing as well i know we're getting short on time and i don't want to keep you too long (laughs) but you know one of the questions i like to ask is let's say you know somebody's listened to this interview and when the project comes out they kind of go you know i i i'm this this may be for me I, i i can maybe see myself with this game uh, but they're on the fence. So what are a couple of things you would tell them about Honey Wars to make them go, you know what, Andrew, you're absolutely right. I have to back Honey Wars right now. Oh, that's that's going to be something that, straight and simple, there's a print and play on the Kickstarter page. And immediately, if anyone's on the fence, I would just say, look, try it. If you hate it, don't get it. I don't want you filling up your house with games that you don't like. But if you you give it a shot, there's it's really unlikely that if you're on the fence about this game that you won't get it <laughs> simply because the the print and play is just it's the game but when you can get the full color appreciate the art the box is awesome it's got some uh, Alicia Volkman did the art for me it's i think a very thematic experience as well so yeah if somebody if somebody was on the fence i'd say just try the game if you hate it great i'm you know i'm sorry <laughs> but yeah, and and from what I've seen, anybody that's been kind of, eh, you know, I say, hey, dude, take five minutes, sit down, try it out. You know, maybe that's my salesman coming out, you know, but uh, that's what I'd say. Just try it. Download the free print and play on, on the Kickstarter page. Okay. And um, when are you looking to launch this Kickstarter? Honey Wars goes live on Kickstarter March 1st. So before then, is the preview page available for people to check out? Indeed. Uh, it's still technically a work in progress. I've got some new updated video that I'm trying to go up there, but uh, you can go to honeywars.com and it will forward you to the preview page for Kickstarter. All right. And of course, I will throw that in the show notes for anybody that wants to go check it out. Uh, and, you know, you can check out the preview page and give Andrew some feedback and, you know, click that uh, notify me on launch. So you know exactly the moment it goes live. And then, of course, I'm assuming that HoneyWars.com will direct to the actual page once it goes live as well. Yes, correct. And have you figured out like your funding level and and the base price for uh, the game and all that stuff yet? Yeah, the goal is $2,000, which by... You know, today's standards is semi-paltry uh, from, you know, some of these games that I'm seeing put out there. But I've actually gone through and figured out a way where I can fund and produce a profitable venture at only 2000 bucks. Um, you know, it's a lot more work for me to do it that way, but I can. Um, but if, you know, for some reason the game decides to go absolutely crazy, I've also prepared for it to fund at much larger levels than that. The um, base game is 23 bucks that's shipping included for uh us and then uh it's an extra 20 bucks to ship everywhere else in the world 
So $23 for the base game. And then I'm also off- offering a deluxe version of the game, which includes the base game as well as a collector's edition wooden game box. And all of the honey uh, tokens in the game get upgraded to uh, from plastic cubes to like these awesome iridescent amber colored honey tokens. They look really cool. Nice. So. All right. Well, see there, you, you answered what my second question was going to be uh, without me having to ask it. And that was <laughs> that was if you had like a blinged out version that people. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The um, box man, it's got like a fancy key lock on it. There's a, a key lock design that there's a cutout in the lid. So you can see the hive artwork through the, through the box. It looks like you're actually like kind of holding a beehive in your hand. You know, it's, it's pretty neat, man. I'm I'm excited about that one. Yeah, I, sure. I've seen you kind of showing off the pictures and stuff on it. It does look really cool. Uh, Thanks, so Jeff. It's definitely it. a, an interesting take on the you know collector's box. You know, it has <laughs> has that visual right up front for you. Yeah, it brings something unique to to the to the game shelves and ga- right. gaming tables. You know, while at the same time, from what I I remember and seeing from, while at the same time, not really making you swear at your shelf space because it's an awkward shape or <laughs> yeah no it's still a rectangle you know and you and it's it's you know i'm an engineer so i designed this thing it's still really strong you can stack stuff on top of it it's not gonna get just not you don't have to handle it like it's fragile either you know so i'm very pumped about that all right so um towards the beginning of our conversation i had kind of said that we would maybe talk about some of the lessons you learned just getting ready for launch so maybe uh, this would be a good time to do that before we kind of call it an evening. So preparing for your first Kickstarter, do you have, I mean, and you don't have, I, I know it's a, it's a deep ocean. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, what were you, what would you say are some highlights uh, that, that you've learned getting ready to launch? So I think that the largest thing that I got from just the early stages of just building the the project in general is the notion of crowdfunding requires you to bring your own crowd. Yes. That is something that I think a lot of projects that are created that are really neat looking fall short on. And that's been one of my major focuses uh, from day one. Uh, It was maybe something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand as being a a portion of Kickstarter is that you kind of have to bring your own people to get a good chunk of the percentage knocked out from your goal on day one. Right. Yeah, I I think I mean, I think it's going down, which is good. But I think with the amount of, you know, new people and new projects kind of launching on Kickstarter, I mean, we see it. Every few days in the Game Crafter chat, right? I mean, somebody yep. new coming along that's that's going to do a Kickstarter um, that is like really new. Yeah, but but you're right. I mean that that's one of those things that people have missed for so long that the the notion that Kickstarter is your marketing yeah, is it absolutely is, is not yeah, <laughs> such such yeah. a unfortunately horrible thing to <laughs> to have in your head and stick to uh and and that is a huge piece of failure i mean that was one of the things again going back to when we were working with Doug and and John for the relaunch of Gothic Doctor that was kind of their thinking when they first got into it back then was well, we find projects on Kickstarter so everybody must do it our yeah no kind of thing so <laughs> You know, it's that- crazy too. Just talking to people outside of the gaming industry in general, like people that aren't necessarily gamers or anything. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm. They say, oh, I hear you're making a board game. Is that true? And I tell them, yeah, I'm working on it. it. Oh, can we buy it? Well, it's going up on Kickstarter in March. Have Have you heard of Kickstarter before? And they're like, no. What's that? Like it's so it's it's hard for some people to fathom the idea that people some people a lot of people don't even know what Kickstarter is. You know, so. To think that you're going to create this mass marketed product for on a platform, solely on a platform, and then a lot of your market hasn't even heard of the platform that you're hoping will do all your marketing for you. It's unbelievable. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that was a big takeaway. I go through the same thing too. Yeah, it's a lot of, <laughs> lot of people that I run into outside. It's like, and again, you know, for myself and for you and for some of the others, it's, you know, Kickstarter at this point is second nature. Yes. So you just kind of offhandedly mention it, like you said, and it's kind of like, uh, and then you see that look come back at you, and you go, 
Yeah, you wow. you know what Kickstarter <laughs> is, right? No, I no. What what are you talking about? What's that? Yeah. yeah so it's it, but it's so weird because it's you know it's especially me like I eat, sleep, and breathe Kickstarter at this point. <laughs> so it's like it, it's such a weird notion to go. Oh, I I've still got people to to tell about this wonderful yeah. invention that yeah. has been around for years now <laughs> and, and has matured quite a bit and you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's definitely an interesting thing. Yeah. So I would say that would be like the early on kind of focus and the big, the big, like, Oh man. Okay. Kind of realization at that point early on the second kind of lesson that I would uh, kind of take away is, and this is, you know, we go back to what we were talking about before earlier today was the idea that everyone is going to do it different, uh, differently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you cannot make everyone happy. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a tough pill for me to swallow personally. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming for a lot of other people. And I think once you commit, you just, you just got to commit to, you know, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. It makes a large portion of the people that I'm hoping to get this game backed by, uh, happy. And that's it. That's just the way it's going to be. Now, obviously, if no one is excited about your idea, then that's a terrible uh, policy. But um, <laughs> the uh, the idea of going, you know, you can't please everyone. And that's just a reality you're going to have to face. That's very difficult for a lot of people because, you know, nobody likes rejection. Right. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things that we've always kind of talked about here as well. And that's the, you know, accept feedback, but make it filtered feedback. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I made the mistake of at some point asking people like, hey, how much do you think this game should cost? You know, <laughs> yeah. and maybe that's a number that you might want to take the temperature of at some point just to kind of make sure you're not absolutely crazy. But when you start arguing about, you know, is it 23 or 25, you know, that you're in trouble <laughs> yeah. and it's just not, it's just not worth your time. You know, those are decisions, command decisions that you have to make as a, a project creator, you know. Hey, we were having that conversation today, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's something I would say that would be the second thing. And then now, as as now that I've put a, together a, a Kickstarter page, which for anyone that's made a page before will know the pain of the interface that they have (laughs) it does well for what it does you know and that i think you know that's it's fine it's just doesn't have all the cool stuff that we want it to have but then it page would be humongous and terrible to work with so i think now that i have an idea of okay this is the format and i've searched and poured over hundreds of other projects ranging from the super expensive ones the super cheap ones not just games you know and how are these formatted and where do these go and listening to reading blogs and listening to podcasts and oh this this include this and don't include this you know i think at this point i have a template that i'm really happy with for this project there you go but now i have a a, a, a starting place for my next project yes um, and, and yeah. i think part of the keyword there was for this project yeah i mean yeah. And, and that kind of goes back to a little bit what you were talking about earlier and that's you know the one the flexibility and two that everybody's going to kind of do things their own way I've I've taken up uh, a lot of your time this evening, so thank you uh, for hanging out with me. First of all, and I'm gonna I really appreciate you having me on. I'm gonna say that again yeah. in a minute, anyway, because <laughs> I want to, of course, give you an opportunity if uh, people are interested in in what you you've got going on. Obviously, we got HoneyWars.com if you're interested in the Kickstarter itself. But if people want to maybe follow along with you on the social medias, where should people find you? So everything is Gold Seal Games. So we've got goldsealgames.com. You can find me on Twitter at Gold Seal Games. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Gold Seal Games. And of course, I will put those in the show notes. The other thing too, are you ready, Andrew? It's time for you to correct me if I'm wrong about any of this stuff. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right, go for it. I hit you hard in the beginning. Now you get to criticize me at the end. <laughs> uh, so we've got Honey Wars that will be launching March 1st, 2016 on Kickstarter. Andrew is looking for $2,000 as his yep. funding goal. Good. Huh? Yep. And of course, uh, we said the base pledge for the game would be $23. Yep. Shipping uh, included with that. Domestic shipping, U.S. shipping included. Yes. 
And we have the awesome deluxe version with the cool wooden box at $50. You got it. Shipping included for the U.S. Yeah, domestic is uh, shipping is included in both the $23 pledge level and the $50 pledge level. All right, there you go. So again, if this has sounded interesting to you, check out honeywars.com. Go check out the Kickstarter page and give it some love and back it when it goes live. Once again, Andrew, thank you very much for hanging out with me. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I really, really appreciate it, man. And of course, I will see you in a few hours on chat. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good, buddy. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for coming along and having this conversation with us. Again, this is something that Andrew and I talk all the time, but it was cool to have uh, this conversation. I was lucky enough to meet him at CrafterCon, and that was pretty cool as well. Uh, so it's, it's kind of cool to put not only the voice, but the face to the name and all that stuff and, and people that you talk to all the time. And of course, I will be back in the very near future with more interviews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Broken Prism Reviews, a YouTube channel bringing you game reviews in three parts, unboxing, express gameplay, and a quick rundown of what makes the game stand out. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.